We just want to take a time to pray for a moment. God, we come before you and we thank you for that, the words of that song and what you've made available for us when we say yes to Jesus. To go from being a creation of God to a child of God. And I thank you for that privilege and we stand on that today with confidence. Lord, I, I pray for us today as we're at Father's Day and Lord, I know that there are those of us whose dads no longer live and uh, we feel sadness at their loss and uh, we long for their voice and their presence. And I pray, God, you'd be our comfort today. Lord, I also know that some of us had dads that uh, were, just, were human in, in every way and they disappointed us or they hurt us in some fashion. So God, I pray that you would be our Father, that we would know you as Father. God, I pray that uh, for those of us who are dads, that we come to Father's Day and we feel sometimes inadequate, we feel pressure, we don't know what, what to do all the time. And I just thank you that you're there with us, and I pray that you would help us that we would know that you are our good, good father and that you set example for us and how to, how to parent as you love us. And I pray that you would give us encouragement today and you would inspire us. I really want to thank you for those who are here and for every one of us that we would just walk away from here knowing that we were with Jesus today. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. That'd be great. I love it. Thanks so much for being here. I want to welcome all of you. Uh, welcome all of you who are watching online. Really want to encourage you if you're watching online that this is the place to be when you can be here. Uh, understand when you're not here and you watch or listen on the line on on the road. I actually had somebody last week uh, stream or service live as they were driving across Nevada. Um, and so just hit the right spot and they were able to do that. And so we stream our services and it was just a wonderful thing. They said to experience uh, last week. Even had communion in her car. They had water and sunflower seeds, okay? That was how, as we had communion together last week, I thought that was very innovative and creative. Uh, and so I just want to uh, thank you for being here and, and make sure afterwards you stay for the cars and add, uh, snow cones. Uh, we really need those today, right, with all the heat uh, out there that we're experiencing. Last week we were freezing and this week we're just sweltering. What's the deal, right? I just don't understand that so much. Okay, so this is our final installment in our series, Hope Unleashed, Encounters with Jesus, Encounters with Him. And what we've been doing, and I have loved this series and I've loved your responses to this series as well, but what we've been doing is every week we're looking at Jesus and as he encounters just ordinary people, just people like you and me. And as we've watched that, we've looked at how Jesus related. And we've we want to use him as our example as we see that Jesus related people to people with dignity and compassion. That Jesus had empathy toward people in their circumstances and their situations. But also that Jesus offered healing. He offered challenge. He offered opportunity. He offered belief, and he lifted people out of the place that they were at in this time. And today what we're going to focus on is one of the, another one of the stories of a miracle, and we're going to look at the healing of the man born blind. 
Now, I always remember the time when uh, Kim and I went camping over at McCarricker State Park. I know many of you like to go there over at Fort Bragg area. And so we went camping. It was in July. We had just moved to California probably that year, the year before. So we were camping. And so July, you know when you go to the coast in July when it's really hot inland, it's really what? Foggy over there, right? So it was really foggy at the campground during the day. So at night, it, it was the fog just rolled in even thicker. There's no lighting anywhere. Uh, and so the, the darkness was actually oppressive. It was so heavy. And so somewhere around 2 o'clock in the morning, I had this call from Mother Nature. And so I thought, you know, I need to go relieve myself. And so I, you know, crawled out of my sleeping bag, go to the tent, opened up the tent, got outside, you know, just so dark you couldn't see anything. And I made my way a few yards from the tent and took care of my business. And then when I was finished with that, uh, I thought, okay, I need to go back to the tent. But as I'm going back to the tent, I was once again just blown away by how dark it was. I couldn't see anything. And Kim, of course, I'd woken her up because every guy has to wake up his wife, right? When he's going to do anything out, you know, so I'd woken her up. And so she was already awake laying there waiting for me to come back. And then she hears this thud and a, oh, and then this heavy groan, and then uh, I make my way into the tent finally and get inside, and I'm crawling. She goes, what happened out there? Well, here's what happened. So I was coming back to, the tent, you know, getting back to the tent, and I was walking along, and there was a stump about this high right here. I have no light, and I go like this as I'm walking and kicked the stump with my shin. That was full impact on my shin. So I go back in, and you know I'm just a guy about these things, so I just get back in my sleeping bag, right? And, and so I wake up the next morning, I look, and there's blood all over my leg. And, uh, but also, what was bad is that it had taken a, you know, about this long all the way to the bone on my shin. And so the rest of the vacation was trying to keep me from getting infected, okay? <laughs> That's what we did. We went, you know, we were up, went up inland then to get away from the fog because Kim couldn't handle that anymore. It's depressing to be in the fog. And so we got inland. We stopped at every little drugstore along the way. We're calling my pharmacist buddy. How do I need to do to keep from getting this thing infected? And so the whole idea of the story is when it's dark, you need light, okay? That's the principle here. When it's dark, you need light. And, uh, you know, I was back before phones had little flashlights on them, and you could use those things, but I didn't have light, and so I was in darkness. I couldn't see, and I needed a light. Well, that's the idea that we're going to look at today in this story. So I want to just kind of set it, set it, you know, set the plate a little bit so we can understand. We are all born into spiritual darkness. Every person is born into, the Bible says, spiritual darkness. And as we're going to see today, Jesus says, he came to be the light of the world, to shine the way into the darkness so that we can find our way out of the darkness. He came to give us spiritual sight so that we could move from darkness into the light, and then we could actually be able to see. And what we're going to see today is that the blindness we're talking about today appears to be physical blindness, and it actually is a man who was blind from birth. But there's a blindness that we're going to see today that's a blindness of the soul it's a blindness of the heart, a spiritual blindness that can cripple those who may believe they see God, but in reality, they don't. See, spiritual sight is perceiving that you have a need for Jesus. Spiritual blindness is not perceiving that you have that need for Jesus. So we either walk in the light or we walk in the dark. So just as the feeding of the 
5,000, as we looked at that a few weeks ago, that symbolized that Jesus came to meet our uh, physical hunger, spiritual hunger. This story today, as he's going to give this sight to the blind, it represents and symbolizes the fact that Jesus is going to meet our spiritual need for sight. He's going to meet that need. So grab your Bibles, open them to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, that's where we're going to be today. Love for you to have a Bible. If you don't have one, stop at the bookshelves right out here. We want to give you one today. Also, you can grab these message notes. All the verses we'll look at will be here. Now, there's 41 verses in this chapter, and I had to cut some out because I know you guys want to get out to the car show and the snow cones, right? I know that you want that to happen, but we're going to cover as many as we can today. Also, several of you have enjoyed this book recommendation because we sell out every week, and so we have some more this week. I hope that after first service we still do, but I'll just say it again. The Day I Met Jesus is a story of five women from the New Testament who had encounters with Jesus who received his empathy, and I just love how Jesus elevated the role of women in his culture. So if we still have some of these, you can look at it. If not, you can actually see and you can order one on your own and do that. So let me just give you the first fill in. I'm just going to jump right in, jump into deep water. First is this. In this encounter with Jesus, we see that we can be blinded by our apathy, blinded by our apathy. And we're talking about the disciples in this first section. So like the disciples, we can be blinded by our apathy, the apathy we have toward people who are hurting, people who are hurting. So this is just verse one. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. So Jesus, first of all, he's the one that notices the man. And I think because Jesus noticed the man, that also drew the attention of the disciples to that same man as well. Okay, so they see Jesus notices him, then they say this. Rabbi, his disciples ask him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. So they've got either or question, and Jesus says neither. Either or neither. And he says, and he says, so it goes on. He goes, this happens so the power of God could be seen in him. So you might underline that so you can come back to that later and think about what that means. So the power of God might be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. There's where he said it in verse 5. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva... And spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. This is gross, okay? This is just gross, what he's doing right here. And the guy has no idea. He's blind. They're just talking to him. Next thing you know, he hears Jesus hock a loogie. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) Jesus is touching him and putting mud all over his eyes, okay? That's kind of what's going on here. And now Jesus says, now go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. And Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed. And then understatement, he came back seeing. Understatement, he came back seeing there. So I just want to show you a picture of the Pool of Siloam. This is where Jesus sent the man, right here. They've excavated this out. Kim and I got to see this when we went to Israel a few years ago. Um, you, when you go to this pool, you've already, you come through the tunnel of Hezekiah's tunnel, and you get to this place, and you see it. Now, I want you to notice that this is where Jesus sent a blind man. So the, he's, first of all, he has to get there. We have no idea how far this actually was from where the blind man was actually sitting beside the road. But notice that he has all these steps, now, in our day, we have hand railing. In their day, no hand railing, okay? It's just for us softies that we have to have hand railing there to keep, so we don't lose our balance. But look at all these steps. He had to go down all of these. And then you see the pool there. The pool is, you know, it wasn't just some tiny little thing. It's about the size of a large swimming pool. And I'm thinking with the heat today, that looks pretty, pretty appealing, right? To go be in something like that. But that's where he had to go. And then he had to wash himself. And so he did that. And then it says that he came back seeing. I was wondering, 
What did he think? What was he feeling? You know, when he goes now and he washes off and all of a sudden, ever, for the first time, he's able to actually see. We don't know what he's feeling, but just I'm just trying to imagine a little bit. He's been blind since birth, and so all of a sudden now he can see everything, and not like the other healing where Jesus healed someone born blind, and then it was like foggy at first, and then it came back gradually. This guy got instant sight and saw everything completely. Imagine your ty- entire existence, all of your life, and everything that happened with you was predicated on the benevolence of someone else them taking care of you. He was a blind beggar who relied on the goodness of others to be able to see. So I don't, you know, we could go into all the kinds of things he might fail, but for some reason, John didn't think it was important, so he didn't include it. He just goes right to the fact that he came back seeing because the most important part of the story is not that he had his physical sight healed, but he had his spiritual sight healed. Most important part. What I want us to realize here at this part is that at the disciples, they completely overlooked this man. They completely overlooked him, and they completely missed that needs that he had. And so what they wanted to do is they wanted to enter into debate about why is he blind? Just debate about why he's blind at this point. So they were kind of thinking about the religious beliefs of the day. And one of the myths that they believed in this day, and it's a strong myth, by the way, believed by people in our day as well, is this. When something bad happens, it means somebody is messed up. You ever bought into that belief? When something bad happens, it means somebody is messed up. The opposite of that is when something good happens, it means I've done something good. Either way, it's really not the right thinking biblically. Not the right thinking. Now, I love what Jesus does, though, and he turns the disciples on them, and he says, don't focus on the cause of brokenness, focus on the purpose of brokenness. Don't focus on the cause of his blindness, focus on the purpose of his blindness. Now, this is a hard one for us. I'll just be really honest. This is incredibly difficult, because our natural bent, our natural tendency is to want, when we come to a difficult situation, to ask the question, why? It's natural. We want to know why. And I've asked this question. I've had people come to me and they want to ask this question. And this is what I say to them. This is what I've learned to say to myself as well. When we ask the question why, it's not the right question. Because I'll tell you this, when you're in difficulty, when you've lost significantly, when things aren't going your way and there's no way that you think that they're going to change, there's absolutely no answer to that question that will make you feel better. Oh, that's why. Oh, great. Everything's fine now. No answer to that question that will actually help you in your suffering and make it more bearable. On the other hand, when you can understand God's purpose, that can give you comfort even though, and this is the hard part, even though things may remain unexplainable and difficult and hard, it may give you comfort. Now, here's one of the things that we have to trust here. Is that... um, When it comes to understanding God's purpose, we most often see God's purpose when we look backwards. We most often see God's purpose when we see what he's done in our circumstance and our situation. We very rarely know God's purpose when we look forward or we look at our circumstances today. So it requires trust at this point to say everything that is in my life that God has allowed to be filtered through his fingertips. Everything the Bible says that comes was allowed 
to me by God. And so now I say, I don't understand. In fact, I hate it. I don't want to be here. I'm mad at you, God, for allowing this to happen, even though you say it's for my best and it's going to come out for good in some way. And I try, But I trust you right now. I'm going to choose to trust even though I don't understand. See, when the disciples finally saw the man because Jesus saw the man, they saw him mostly as a theological question that needed to be debated. I want you to think about that. They're looking at this man, and all of a sudden they're like, Jesus is here. We've got a man right here. He's blind. This is our lucky day. Our lucky day. Jesus is going to help right now. Jesus is going to be able to answer the question that everybody wants to know. Why did this happen? Imagine the tweets we can send out later today about what's our followers will just jump all over this. This is our moment. Our moment. Our moment. They were totally insensitive to the plight of the man. And you don't just know, right now, they're standing around him, talking about him as if he doesn't exist. He was the man born blind, not the man born deaf. He's hearing them talk about him, totally insensitive. And he was, they were, to them, he was just a study for religious debate at this point. So what I've tried to do in this series is I've tried to show us people and how they responded to circumstances and situations, but I've also tried to show us Jesus and how Jesus didn't look at labels. Jesus didn't look at actions. Jesus looked at people, and he expressed empathy and compassion. Jesus didn't judge people for their brokenness. Jesus didn't categorize people by their sin. And the lesson for me in this, as I was reading this, as I was studying, is this. People are not theological problems to be solved. People are real. They are real, they have real feelings, they have real problems, and we need to look, stop overlooking people because we've labeled them or because of their, what they've done that we think is not appropriate in some way. Stop labeling them. To the Jesus, this is a man, he deserved dignity, he deserved compassion, he deserved empathy, and what we're going to see, he actually deserved healing, not because of what he'd done, but because Jesus was a man of compassion. So I just ask this, how many of you looked at people? And you've judged them because of their actions or because of a label that either you've put on them or someone else has put on them in some way because of their lifestyle in some way. How many of you done that? I don't want you to ask you to raise your hands. Because I don't, or you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> don't, if you want to, that's wonderful. You know? and so, but if you do, just know everybody's going to judge you. And I'm teasing. You know? <laughs> uh, but we're all like this. We're all like this. Or we've judged people or categorized people because it's a way to make them below us and the way to make us feel better about ourselves. And that creates apathy when we do that. We don't look at people as those having needs. We look at them as debates to be had. Okay? Next idea is this. In this encounter with Jesus, we see that we can be blinded by our anxiety. And we're going to talk about the parents here. We can be blinded by our anxiety. Now, we got to talk about a couple things that are going on in this story. Um, first, Jesus healed the man. Now, Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath. And if you look at a lot of Jesus' work, especially healings, he did them on the Sabbath. And, uh, you know, just Jesus is just courageous. You know, he just wasn't satisfied with status quo and the, things, the, the way things were. And he wanted to establish himself as the Lord of the Sabbath. 
But see, here's the deal. Jewish law strictly prohibited healing on the Sabbath unless it was for a life-threatening issue. So was this life-threatening? No. This man had been born since when? Birth. Blind since birth. And so it wasn't life-threatening. He had needs for sure, but it wasn't life-threatening anyway. So he broke the Sabbath law when he did this. Second part of this is that it was illegal to do certain things on the Sabbath, especially something that would be considered work. And so they had made up all these strict rules. And somebody mentioned these a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the strict rules. And one of the rules was that you couldn't make clay on the Sabbath because making clay on the Sabbath would be work because you'd be using that clay to build something. And so you weren't allowed to make clay. So they determined that when you spit, that when you spit, you had to spit on... It was okay to spit. Guys, we're home free here, right? It's okay to spit, okay? So you, right? You hear that? It's okay to spit. We can spit on stone, but you can't spit on dirt. That was the deal. You couldn't spit on dirt because it would land, and there's a chance it might be making clay, and then you have broken the Sabbath. So those are the two issues going on here. This is why the Pharisees are going to come at Jesus right now over these two issues. Just like last week, we said that they thought they had Jesus in a no-win situation. They think they have him in a no-win situation in this one as well. So let's just read what happened. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and now could see. So they were just having a hard time with this thing. So at first they're wondering if he was actually blind at all. And so they called his parents and they asked them, Parents, is this your son? Was he born blind? Now they're probably wondering... They just know that there's something coming here that's not going to be in their favor, depending on the answers they give. So they understand that. So if so, how can he now see, they asked. And his parents replied, let's see, how can we say this? Okay, okay, we know he's our son. (laughs) Okay, so that's the first thing they said. And we know that he was born blind, but we don't know how he was healed. Ask him. So they gave the safest answer they could because they knew if they gave the wrong answer that they were going to get what happens and it's talked about in just a little while. So ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Circle that. They were afraid. Fear leads to anxiety, which leads us to miss people. Afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be what? Expelled from the synagogue so they'd be kicked out of church. And that's why they said he is old enough. Ask him. So his parents remind me of the old TV series, Hogan's Heroes. Now, when I just say that, it's going to date me totally. It's not even on Netflix. It's on the Old Folks Channel, okay? And so it's at Hogan's Heroes. You just go to that Old Folks Channel, whatever it is, where they play all the oldies. You'll know which one when you get there. And if you remember Hogan's Heroes, there was a particular character, Sergeant Schultz, and he had this saying that every one of us that were part of that era would know, and it is, I know nothing, I see nothing, right? And so that's exactly, they were being Sergeant Schultz right here. I know nothing. I see nothing. I have no idea what actually happened here. And so this is just terrible. And as you think about this, the family was experiencing fear at what the religious leaders might do to them because their son would be healed and fear brings anxiety and anxiety causes to do really crazy things sometimes to try to relieve it, to try to keep away from the thing that we're afraid of. Think about it. These parents had probably prayed to God for their son's healing. They had probably prayed to God for their son's healing. And at this moment, they were afraid to embrace the greatest act of God they had ever seen. And it was for them. 
It was for their family. And they missed out on the joy and the celebration over their son's healing. Someone was talking to me the other day, and they were talking about their parents who were aging and talking about decisions they were making about their parents' aging process. And the woman looked at me, and she said this one, she said it was so clearly. She said, what I want to make sure is when I get to the end of this season and my parents pass away, that I don't look back on it with regret that I made the best decisions I could along the way. Well, right now, I believe that later on, after this incident that we're reading about that happened before the Pharisees, that you're talking to about some parents who looked back on this incident with regret. Their son was given sight, and they didn't throw a party because they were afraid of being excluded from the religious club. Just imagine how sad they were later. Jesus would heal their son. He had been born blind. He had sight. He was going to have a life now. And the only thing they would admit to, and I think this was grudgingly, he's our son. The only thing they admitted to. I wonder how many times when I thought about this, how many other times had he been rejected by his family? How many other times did it come down to that question, who sinned or did the parents sin? They made sure that it was always twisted that he sinned somehow, even if he sinned in the womb, which caused him to be pregnant, I mean, blind at birth. So I just think, how many other times did they reject his son? We see that he was a beggar on the side of the road. I would say that meant he was rejected by them, that he was having to fend for himself, and they no longer were caring for him. So I just say this, anxiety and fear can cause us to miss what God's doing. Miss what he's doing. Okay, third idea is this. End our time by looking at the blindness of the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And we've looked at them several times in this series. In this, in this encounter with Jesus, we realize that we can be blinded by our arrogance. Blinded by our arrogance. Like the Pharisees, we can be just like them. See, here's the deal. You said, no, no, we, now, we, we've been harsh on the Pharisees. Um, maybe a little too, a little bit in this series. Talked about, you know, their attitudes and what they did and how they pushed against Jesus. But I just say this. I'll be real, real good for the, you know, say something really nice about them today. The Pharisees, I believe, are good people, are people who started out with good intentions. They started out with good intentions. They didn't, they didn't start out to become the people that we read out in the Bible and we judge. They started out to keep the law. They started out to be true to God and true to God's ways. That's the way they started out. But what happened is, is, is in their zeal and desire to do the right thing, what happened over time is doing the right thing became more important than being in the right relationship. And that's the relationship with God. And they were missing out. See, these were the ones who were setting the standard for what it was like to walk with God. That means being in relationship, walk with God. And in the process, they lost sight of God's heart, lost sight of his heart. They were faithful. They were just faithful to the wrong thing. And that's because, folks, legalism binds, blinds. It does. Look, now let's go ahead and read what happens here. For, so for the second time, beginning in verse 24, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, <laughs> this is so twisted here. God should get the glory for this, okay? So they want God to get the glory because we, we know this man Jesus is a sinner. So there's actually no way Jesus did this. So God just did it on his own. And so he's going to get the glory because no sinner could do this. And the guy goes, by the way, this is another way that I think we judge people is that sometimes we look at folks and we look at their life circumstance and their life situation and we think, honestly, they're just not very intelligent or they wouldn't be there. Right? 
right? That's not very smart. They made bad choices. This guy is hyper-intelligent. I mean, he's got to be one of the smartest guys in all of Jerusalem because of his ability right now to dialogue with the elite of intelligentsia of his time. He goes this, I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, but now I see. So here's the proof. I know what's happened. I was blind, but now I see. But what did he do? So it doesn't matter what, your, what your, the good thing that happened. What did he do? How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Oh, my word. Can you imagine how seething they are right now? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? Oh, my word. He's also got sarcasm down pretty good, okay? It's got sarcasm there. Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, and we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. I love this. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, right? And he's the one who healed me, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, I just love all the, all the um, ties here to the Old Testament that are going on. So God created everything. Jesus is part of creating everything. God, when he created Adam, used what? Dust. When Jesus healed the man born blind, he used dust and, of course, some spit along the way as well. And he healed this guy, and he's going, taking us all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God created the world. And then he says, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. So you don't do this. You know, just don't do this unless you're from God. Sinners do not heal people born blind. If this man was not from God, he couldn't have done it. So he's declaring that he's from God at this point. You were born a total sinner, they answered. So now they're judging the man. They were a total sinner. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. So it's high drama, high drama case going on right now. So what I, have, what I, I just want to figure out how I can wrap this whole thing and draw, draw a bow around it today. I think one of the dangers of reading stories like this is that we can read these stories and we read them from out here. And so we're here, and there's the story, and we read them kind of like the way the disciples were judging people as theological questions to be answered, but we don't really get in there. So it's not about us, it's about them, and we judge them and what's going on at this point. So I just want to wrap us through just a little bit how we do it, because what we're doing when we do that is we're trying to make ourselves look better And when we do that, trying to make ourselves look better as we read it. So look at the disciples, we think this. This is what I, I do this. I'm guessing that you do it too. So we look at the disciples sometimes, and we read about the disciples, and we say, there go the disciples. They're messing it up again. You know, they're totally blowing this thing. I mean, the disciples are actually with Jesus. I can't tell you how many times I prayed that Jesus would be real in front of me. They had Jesus real right in front of them, personally, right there with them, physically. How could they miss what he was doing? We look at the disciples. We look at the parents and we think, you got to be kidding me. How could they do this? What kind of a parent would be more concerned about being accepted into his religious club than celebrating the fact that their son who was blind was now healed? I can't believe there are parents like that in the world. And we look at the Pharisees and we think, what a bunch of bozos. What a bunch of bozos. I wonder why Jesus even put up with them. I'm sure glad I'm not like them. Right? I'm not like them. I'm sure glad I don't judge people by external standards to see who's in or out. 
I'm sure glad I don't spend time looking for how others don't measure up just so that I can make myself look better in some way. See, folks, all of this, all this looking at it from the outside would be a mistake because we are like all of these characters. We are like all these characters. We're like the disciples. We overlook the deeper needs of people around us. We overlook the deeper needs of people around us. We're focused on our theological truth, and we miss the fact that people are hurting. And they need Jesus. They need hope. They need help. We're like the parents many times. We're just so afraid. We're full of anxiety and we're full of fear. And we're missing out on opportunities all around us to celebrate the good that God is doing in people. And we're like the Pharisees. We're arrogant and we're prideful that we're not like others. And our tendency is to judge people and exclude them based upon our standards for who we believe is acceptable or not or who's in or who's not. So I'm going to wrap up today, and I'm going to read a poem, okay? I, guys, I'm sorry. It's Father's Day, and I'm going to read poetry. I know. Here we go, okay? But it, you're going to see why in just a minute, okay? I was shocked, confused, bewildered as I entered heaven's door, not by the beauty of it all, nor the lights or its decor, but it was the folks in heaven that made me sputter and gasp, the thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, the trash, there stood the kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Herb, who always thought was rotting away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. I nudged Jesus. What's the deal? I would love to hear your take. How did all these sinners get here? God must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet, so somber? Give me a clue. Hush, child, he said. They're all in shock. No one thought they would be seeing you. <laughs> Doesn't that so, it just fit so well what we're talking about today? So the theme there is to stay humble because arrogance, thinking better that you're better than you are, is harmful to yourself and others. I'm going to read these last verses, and then we'll close. When Jesus heard what had happened, so Jesus heard about it, that he'd been thrown out of the synagogue, he went looking for the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? So this is a key, key phrase right here, do you believe in the Son of Man? Because this is from Daniel, and so when he's saying this, he's saying, do you believe I'm the Messiah? And so when he says, I'm the, he says yes, that means he's actually surrendering and worshiping him at this moment. The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he underline this, worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment. We're going to talk about this in a few weeks, judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. So here's what Jesus is saying, and I'll just put, it, put the bold print there for you. The distinction that Jesus is making is not between those who are blind and those who see. It is between those who know that they are blind and those who claim they can see when they can't. That's the distinction he's making. So the best posture you can have is one that says, I know I'm blind. I know I can't see. And I need Jesus to give me spiritual sight. So how do you receive spiritual sight? I want to give you three words. The first one is going to be in the sentence that's also bolded there for you, where it says, we receive spiritual sight by, here's the first word, admitting. So I admit that I have a spiritual need. 
So that's how I get spiritual sight. I admit I have a spiritual need. The second one is that I believe in Jesus. And I'm going to walk you through how this man did this. So I admit I have need. I believe in Jesus. And the third one is I confess. That's the third word. I confess that Jesus is Lord. So here's how this happened. You might write these verses down so you can go back and look at them later. In verse, here's the man's spiritual progress where he went from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight. I'm not talking about when he was healed because that happened at the beginning. So in verse 10, he says, I know Jesus is a man. So the first thing he does in verse 10 is he acknowledges that Jesus is real. Okay, I'll give you that. Jesus is real. He's a man. Okay, he's real. Then in verse 17, he goes on because of his experience now with Jesus. He says, I see Jesus as a prophet. So he's, he's moved from, I, I agree that Jesus might you know, be a man, so I'm gonna, I'll give you that. But now I'm going to say, okay, he's pretty wise. And so I also now believe that he's a prophet. And when he speaks, it's words of wisdom that I'd want to listen to as if it's number three from verse 31 from God. So he says in verse 31, why did you think about that when I read that just a minute ago? He's saying he's from God. Therefore, he's, if he's from God, I'm going to follow him. So he's a man. He's a teacher. He's from God. I'm going to listen to his wisdom, and now I'm going to follow him. And then verse 38, here's the progress, the progression he's in. Verse 38, he says he's the son of man. When he says that, he's saying, I will acknowledge him as my Lord. I'm going to surrender myself to him. And so that's what Jesus offers every one of us. A progress, a progression from Jesus is a man to Jesus is a prophet to Jesus is from God to Jesus is God. And I will worship him. And he offers that to every one of us. Every one of us. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and we'll pray about that. Well, God, we come before you, and Lord, there's so much to think about right now that we've just talked about, but I primarily want to hone in on this moment on uh, those of us who are in this progress, uh, and that would be everyone here, and there's some that have never been willing to acknowledge that Jesus was a man, that they've resisted the name of Jesus, they've resisted Jesus in every way, and that today would be an opportunity just to say, okay, I got it, he's a man, I agree, he was here. And then there'd be those that would say, okay, I've been agreeing that Jesus was here, but now all of a sudden I'm listening, and wow, he's wise. He's a prophet. I want to listen to his teachings. He's a good teacher. I want to follow him because he's a good teacher. And then there are those that would say, oh, he's from God. Look at what he's done. Look at what he's doing, what he's able to do. He's from God, so I want to follow him because he knows God's will. And finally... Because I know he's God, he's from God. Now I know he's God because of what he's done in my life. I was blind, but now I see. And I want to fall on my knees and worship him and give him my all. So God, I pray for us now that we would have this understanding that we would be on this journey. I thank you for Pastor Mark Hadley and the work he does in our church to help us to grow spiritually and our understanding of Jesus and who he is and this progression that we're on to being fully, fully devoted to him. I pray that you would move us as a church, that we would be the kind of place that people would want to come to. They'd be attracted here because it's not about judgment that we would all be willing to say, except for God's grace, there go I. 
we'd be willing to accept people in their progression of becoming like Jesus and surrendering to him fully. Jesus, I thank you for this encounter and pray that you would just plant it deeply in our hearts. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.